Hi, everyone, and welcome back for the 22nd episode of Take It or Leave It, where we discuss the hottest topics in the world of workplace leaves, absence management, and accommodations. I'm your host, Josh Seidman. For those of us who operate in America's leave of absence and accommodations world, human resources, benefits, legal, payroll, insurance providers, and so on, one of the first things that comes to mind when thinking about compliance is the word patchwork. And what a fitting term it is. Leave law compliance for multi-state and nationwide employers must account for the various state and local patchworks in order to determine the best setup for things like policies, systems, procedures, employee relations, cost analyses, you name it. Now, what do I mean by leave law patchworks? Well, those are variations in the paid or unpaid leave benefit package that is mandated across different jurisdictions. One location's law varies from another location's law, to say it simply. We certainly spend time discussing some of the many considerations that flow from the country's leave law patchworks during our first 21 installments of Take It or Leave It. The impact of leave law patchworks and tax law patchworks on remote employees in episode four was a good one. So was our discussion on COVID leave law patchworks. Remember when COVID, the paid leave laws felt like they were as widespread as actual positive COVID cases? That was back in episode eight. We've also covered family medical leave, voting leave, paid any reason leave, bereavement leave, and military leave patchworks in episodes 12, 14, 18, 19, and 21, respectively. And plenty of other episodes also have sprinklings of leave law patchwork considerations in them. While the concept of state and local leave laws and the patchworks that they create exist across more than 20 substantive types of leaves, one of the most challenging parts of dealing with these patchworks is that they are constantly changing, evolving, and unfortunately for multi-state and nationwide employers, expanding. For those of you astronomy nerds out there like me, it almost feels like the expansion of leave law patchworks is as constant as, say, the expansion of the universe. Okay, okay, maybe not quite the same, but it doesn't feel that far off either, at least as long as there is no federal standard governing many of these topics. Now, each year, the state legislative cycle brings with it the possibility of many bills becoming law. In recent years, we've seen a number of jurisdictions from Maryland and Delaware last year to Colorado, New Mexico, and New York in 2020 and 2021 expand their paid leave offerings. Our CIFARTH Leaves Absence Management and Accommodations team strives to keep tabs on as many of these state legislative developments as possible and what they're doing in the paid leave and leave of absence space. But it's a steep hill to climb and track, let alone to process and analyze these bills once they're enacted. So to keep us in the know on what leave law legislative developments have taken place so far in 2023 and what might still be waiting for employers later this year, I am so excited to welcome back Dylan Clare from the ERISA Industry Committee to our Take It or Leave It podcast. Dylan is the Director of State Advocacy and Litigation at the ERISA Industry Committee, which is also known as ERIC. As ERIC fights against state mandates on large plan sponsors through state advocacy and targeted litigation, Dylan ensures that these efforts are aligned as the liaison to the ERIC Legal Center. Among Dylan's many roles and functions, he is the host of ERIC's monthly State of the States webinar, which covers, among other things, the wave of state and local paid leave legislation being considered during the current legislative session. And besides being a regular golfer and fan of U.S. history podcasts, Dylan now officially holds the esteemed title of the first 
repeat guest expert on Take It or Leave It. Dylan, welcome back for round two, and thanks so much for joining us today. No, thank you, Josh. It's a, it's an honor to be invited back. I'm glad I uh, I didn't uh, make too much of a mess of the first episode. So glad to be here. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm thrilled we didn't scare you off during that episode either. So good vibes all around. <laughs> it's, uh, it's great to have you back, Dylan. And to start things off, can you remind us uh, just a little bit about Eric and generally how, how you and, and, and your group stay on top of and up to speed on state paid leave legislative developments? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Eric's a, a D.C.-based trade association, and uh, we represent exclusively large employers, so companies with 10,000 or more U.S. employees, sort of household fortune 100 and 200 names, um, exclusively within employee benefits issues. So healthcare, retirement, compensation, and of course, paid leave. Uh, and so a, a lot of our activity within paid leave, especially at the state level, really is aimed at, you know, the, the large employer perspective on paid leave, which is all of these companies or most of these companies providing very generous paid leave benefits for decades and want to continue doing so. In fact, you know, are, are generally supportive of the concept of paid family medical leave and paid sick leave. But for the most part, want, uh, would prefer to administer them or design them and provide them internally so that they're best able to benefit their employees. And so a lot of the, the discussion at the state level is not should paid leave happen or should paid leave not happen, but it's really how should paid leave be done best and how could it be done most effectively and efficiently for employees at the end of the day. As far as staying on top of uh, these paid leave issues, obviously, it is a, it is a fun game of whack-a-mole to play, uh, to, to stay on top of lots of interest and lots of activity uh, at the state level in paid leave. And so a lot of our advocacy efforts are, and, and tracking efforts are focused on, you know, creating relationships in these states, um, meeting with uh, local chambers, local business roundtables, um, employer groups, retail banking groups to, A, let them know about, you know, the concerns with paid leave proposals, and then also help them, you know, try to make their lawmakers see, you know, what, what priorities are and how to, to chase those efficiencies that I talked about. Yeah, that's great and and helpful background, I think, to put into perspective some of the points you made, which I think are really important, um, including the concept of you know, how can we as individuals in this space deal with leave laws in a more efficient manner. Right. I, I think that's a really, really important point and something that we, we can speak about a bit as we get into the rest of the episode. So as far as what's been going on so far in 2023. Can you tell our listeners a little bit you know, what states were and still are on your radar in terms of anticipated or potential paid leave developments that could come to fruition this year? You know, where should our listeners be paying the most attention? Yeah, so I think a, a great way to see, you know, the path that paid leave's taken through the pandemic and, you know, now in, in sort of the aftermath of, the, of COVID-19 is to understand, you know, where states saw a value in paid leave, um, you know, building out from FMLA, over a dozen states now in D.C. have created their own paid family medical leave program. And so coming off of COVID, uh, there's a real reckoning, if you will, uh, among state lawmakers saying, hey, do we have access to a paid sick leave or a paid family medical leave insurance program? Would having that access have helped during the pandemic? And now that the pandemic is over, should that hole sort of be filled? And so there's a far from a, a slowdown um, in this activity. There's a huge uptick in state interest in paid family medical leave and paid sick leave. And, and really in 2023, we've started to see the, the knock on effect of those new states becoming interested. So in 2022, you know, we saw the last couple of real blue Democrat 
paid leave focused states in Maryland and Delaware create their own paid family medical leave insurance programs. And so now we have, uh, after those two states, um, 11 states and D.C. that have their own mandatory paid family medical leave insurance program. And then on top of that, voluntary programs in Vermont and New Hampshire. And so not only are we seeing an increased activity uh, in paid leave proposals, but actually even a a more broad approach uh, and different paths emerging on that, which, you know, is is great uh, to to experiment and try to find out the best model for paid leave, but makes it all the harder for large employers trying to uh, uh, trying to comply with all these different state requirements. So interesting. It's fascinating how much activity there continues to be. And I think a really important takeaway Dylan, that you just mentioned is the impact that the pandemic had. It impacted so many different things, but but in one particular space, the impact that it had on the leave of absence world and, and to your point, state legislatures kind of thinking about with maybe a, a closer eye their current offerings and where there were gaps and where they could have been better prepared for the COVID pandemic that we've all been dealing with for the last several years and any potential future pandemics that could come up. So uh, I do think it's a really, really good and insightful point that you just made about coming out of the pandemic. You know, the states are kind of raring to go and see what tweaks need to be made. Let's maybe focus, you mentioned paid family uh, leave for, uh, in one of your last responses. Why don't we focus on paid family medical leave programs for just a second here? So you said last year we saw Maryland and Delaware join the ever-growing patchwork of state paid family medical leave laws. Where do things stand this year with updates, new additions, and so on to the paid family medical leave patchwork? Yeah, great question. Uh, and, and so on the whole, what we've seen, as I mentioned before, is sort of the the finishing up of, we'll call it an early to mid-stage of these paid family medical leave insurance laws as they spread across the country, right? We've had, we have California, we have New York, um, we even have, you know, Connecticut, New Jersey, um, sort of these peripheral uh, coastal states that, you know, have been working on paid leave for decades, if, if not, you know, many years. Um, and so with Maryland and Delaware, we see some sort of the last two solid blue states that are ultimately expected to create paid leave at some point. And what we've seen is this, the spread from those solid blue states to the more purple red states that, you know, had maybe paid lip service to a paid leave proposal in the past, um, but have now really r- ramped up their efforts. I think the, the biggest example of that this year is in Minnesota, um, a state that, you know, in, in previous years uh, has had a, a Republican held Senate that basically blocked any sort of paid leave discussions or proposals that made it through the House. Um, and so after the, the, the most recent elections and, and the overturning of the Senate um, to a Democratic trifecta, we really saw the floodgates open. Um, you know, for, from the beginning of the year in January, uh, state Democrats made made it very clear that one of their top priorities was paid leave insurance program. And, you know, unfortunately, what that leads to all, all too often is some jaded negotiation that, you know, instead of, hey, we need some help here um, to get it across, we want to make sure that it fits for employers and, and it addresses the concerns of Republicans in the state legislature. What they really saw was, hey, along a strict party line vote, we do have the numbers to get it through this year. And so we are going to take the bull by the horns and, and kind of go with it. Um, and so that's ultimately what we saw. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it is fascinating. I know Minnesota is one that you've been keeping an eye on. We, we have uh, here with our CIFARC team as well. 
Uh, and like you said, they grabbed the bull by the horn, they being the legislature, and, and plowed forward. So let, let's maybe discuss the Minnesota elephant in the room just a little bit further here. As far as the program itself goes, any unique aspects from your perspective that are worth flagging at a very high level for our listeners? Yeah, you know, um, when it comes to, as a step back, when it comes to paid family medical leave insurance programs, all too often, you know, people will look at a program and say, okay, this is 12 weeks or 14 weeks or 16 weeks, um, and, and kind of use that as the measure of how expansive or how narrow a program is. But really, it's, it's important to keep in mind, and we discussed this in the past, is, is how many different standards, definitions, moving sliding scales um, are featured in these programs. And so when you look at any one program or if you look at Minnesota's program, it really takes uh, a comparison across all of those different metrics to judge, you know, how good or bad a state program is. Um, now, that being said, I'll say that uh, Minnesota's is definitely one of the most expansive, if not the most expansive state paid family medical leave insurance uh, program that we've seen to date. If you look at any particular, you know, standard like the duration of leave or the reasons for leave or uh, the definition of family member, you may be able to find a state or two that have, you know, a broader definition or a, a larger amount of time that an employee can use in one year. Um, but when taken all together, what the Minnesota law HF2 that, that was enacted really seems to do is, is take the high watermark from all these different state programs on all of these different standards and adopt those. So, for, for example, um, I think the 20 weeks of, of leave cap in a year, um, I think there's one state, I think Massachusetts provides a couple extra weeks of leave. But besides that, you know, it, it definitely goes beyond the ordinary 12, 14 or, or 16 weeks that, that we all too often see. Some other areas I mentioned, the family member definition. We've seen a few more recently implemented state programs adopt a very broad definition of family member, you know, going beyond the FMLA uh, definition of a, a parent, a spouse or a child, often adding grandparents, grandchildren, siblings, which, you know, at the end of the day is within reason and is often, you know, picked up by employer benefits. Um, but a lot of these state programs like Washington, like Oregon, also include a catch-all phrase like uh, any other relationship by blood or affinity that is akin to a family relationship or something along those lines. Uh, and, and so what we see is, you know, the Minnesota program once again picking up the highest common denominator uh, and using that expansive definition. And so what, what we've seen on all these different metrics is that, you know, unfortunately, there's still a trend away from uniformity, a trend away from FMLA benefits and into trying to make state programs the best, the most generous, the most expansive in the country. Yeah, it's, I think, Dylan, so many good nuggets and, and takeaways from that update. The very last point you made, though, is something that resonated with me, which is this stepping forward of new state programs that in a lot of ways almost feels like a little bit of one-upmanship compared to other programs. And certainly there is a lack of harmonization, a, a lack of consistency on certain substantive points, at least, that continues to, to make this patchwork of paid family medical leave laws all the more messy. So Minnesota sounds like it is making the, the patchwork, again, just a, a little bit more complicated, a little bit messier for multi-state nationwide employers. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll add also that, you know, that it, it's not an entirely negative trend. There are, there are areas within state paid family medical leave proposals 
that have genuinely, you know, trended upward and in the right direction since the first one was passed in California. For a small example, um, methods of funding. A large uh, advocacy priority for uh, the employer community on state paid leave was that, you know, if this benefit, if the state program benefit was going to be administered, then at least the cost should be split between employers and employees or paid entirely by employees. And so, I mean, that's that is an issue that now almost every state program, at least the more recently enacted ones, do allow for a splitting um, and they don't force it all on employers. Probably the biggest area of improvement is uh, equivalent employer benefit plan exemptions. Basically mm -hmm. saying that if your company already offers benefits that meet or exceed the state benefits, then you can you can apply for and receive an exemption and just administer those benefits internally. That's hugely uh appetizing for a lot of large employers that, as I mentioned at the top of the call, that want to do that, that want to go above and beyond and want to provide better benefits to their employees. That all said, that, all said, that there are good trends within this. The ultimate you know, trend is that states don't want to copy someone else's program um, and that they want you know, not just to be bigger and better and more generous than the other state programs, but they want it to be uniquely tailored to, to what they feel their state needs. And so what that ultimately leads to is even if even if a state program isn't more generous or more expansive or have more requirements, it's still different and employers still need to comply with it differently. And they still need to develop different administrative systems to comply with that different program. And Minnesota is a perfect example. You know, it, it's at its core based off of Washington state's program, but then they took almost every lever and slid it up or down or side to side, um, mm -hmm. ending up with a very different program, which is ultimately difficult for employers. It's exactly, exactly right. I, I agree with you. And I think that private plan uh, point, that exemption point that you mentioned it is an important takeaway, right? There are silver linings within the patchworks. But to your other point, the changes still exist, even if you're not going above and beyond, if there are just variations and inconsistencies and deviations across some of these what feels like two dozen substantive technical requirements that the laws bring to the table that is going to lead to employer headaches and administrative challenges great and so employers are kind of left between a rock and a hard place right they can either set their employees loose to to play with the state insurance program benefits and maybe get you know inferior paid leave benefits from that state program or they can try to jump through hoop after hoop after hoop, trying to get that exemption from the state program. And, and one one point to mention on Minnesota uh, and their exemption process, because the underlying program is so expansive and because the regulatory development of this exemption process has yet to be you know, fleshed out, there's a high chance that, like we've seen in past states, especially Massachusetts, there's a high chance that employers are dissuaded from trying to pursue those benefits. And so now at the end of the day, there are employers that, you know, in a different state or in a different world would have tried to, to create their own or administer their own paid leave benefits. Now, it just doesn't make sense for them to try to anymore if there's no promise that they would even be able to use them if they went through all the effort. And so that, that's the sort of unintended negative consequence that it's important for state lawmakers to understand. Yeah, very interesting, Dylan. Very good points. Before we pivot away from paid family medical leave, Let's maybe take a, a, a pause on Minnesota, but think about the rest of the country. Is anything else, has anything else happened in other states where in the 2023 session, we've either seen paid family leave uh, laws pop on the scene, amendments pop on the scene, other potential activity uh, involving these, these paid family leave programs? Yeah, absolutely. And, and as we said, you know, Minnesota is the only new 
fully blown paid family medical leave insurance program that was enacted this year. But there were a few other states that, you know, took a swing and came pretty close. Another of our Eric's, you know, priority states year to year is Virginia, um, one that is really champing at the bit to develop a, a paid family medical leave or a broader paid sick leave um, proposal. And that has really, you know, been playing partisan lines over the last couple of years to see what the best route forward is. Um, we also saw a state in New Mexico, um, one that had just last year enacted paid sick leave coming off of the pandemic. And now this year, without missing a beat, uh, made a, a pretty solid push um, to, to establish their own program as well. And, you know, while they ran out of uh, legislative session time to create that, there's a, a lot of momentum there building for 2024. Um, and then finally, I also want to mention, you know, there's a, a couple of states that are building momentum. They're not really new states on, on the on the block, but that are trying to pick up their momentum and, and keep things moving forward, mainly Maine. Um, Maine's a state that over the last couple of years has, has uh, put forward paid family medical leave legislation, came pretty close in, in 2020, 2021 to enacting, uh, and then actually last year created a, a sort of study commission to explore, you know, what would fit Maine best, what is their sort of paid leave answer. Um, and so actually just last week, uh, there, there's a bill introduced in Maine, LD 1964, that proposes a paid family medical leave program. Uh, and, you know, they're they're currently in a special session that runs through June 21st. And so it remains to be seen whether they have the momentum to get it out this year. But if not next year, then they will be sure to return next year, along with Virginia, along with New Mexico and a lot of these other states that ha have been priorities for a while now. And then I'll also say beyond our ordinary, you know, problem children, uh, the, the blue to purple states that are picking up um, the torch after Minnesota, there's also a, a ton, over a dozen states that, you know, in past years wanted nothing to do with paid leave. States like mm -hmm. North Dakota, West Virginia, Missouri, Florida, Arizona, both of the Carolinas, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Iowa, the, the, the list really goes on. States that, you know, maybe 10 years ago they introduced a bill that never saw a committee hearing. But now I just read out a dozen or so. I think there's over 20 of these red to purple states that really haven't given much attention to paid leave in the past, but are now introducing not just pieces of legislation, but multiple different proposals of legislation that are getting here uh, committee attention, committee hearings, um, even you know getting votes uh, in, in those committees. And so th there's definitely a trend uh, toward higher levels of paid leave activity at the state level, not a, a slowdown. Wow. Wow. Great, great stuff. Great insights. Let's think about the paid sick leave space for a second. So we have our paid family medical leave law, all the activity that we just went over in that area. But what about paid sick leave? Have there been any notable developments that have taken place this legislative cycle or that might make it across the finish line before the session ends that could impact the paid sick leave patchwork that we have in the country? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. You know, I think uh, rewinding years ago to a time when there was just a couple of paid family medical leave insurance programs and, and those were really picking up. I think that paid sick leave was kind of put in uh, in its older brother's shadow, if you will, um, that, you know, there's paid sick leave requirements at the end of the day are usually a mandate that employers provide some leave. Most of those um, proposals are, you know, generally within what large employers already sort of provide as a matter of course within paid sick leave. And so there's a big shift to this, you know, focus on these large state administered insurance programs that provide weeks and weeks, if not months of leave. Um, and something that we predicted at Eric during the pandemic w was that there would be a shift back to paid sick leave, a, a remembering by state lawmakers 
that, you know, this is really that pinch time that, hey, I need three days off because I need to go get tested for COVID or tested for, you know, a, a less historic illness. And that, you know, this is what really covers people on a day-to-day -day basis uh, more than taking extended leave off for a new child or for an ill family member. Um, and oftentimes they're able to work together. And so if you are interested in paid family medical leave insurance program, then as a state, as state lawmakers, you should really make sure that your paid sick leave is squared away and then to build on top of that. And so what we saw in a couple of states through the pandemic, there were a few states that had paid sick leave like Maryland, some sort of paid sick leave law that wanted to, you know, build off of that and take the next step to paid family medical leave. There's also a few states um, like Illinois, um, like Maine, even a, a couple of years ago that realized, you know, we need to fill that gap and, and create a paid sick leave sort of solution. And so now what, we're, what we've seen into 2023 is a whole other, a whole third group of states uh, and state lawmakers that are, are realizing, you know, there's not a huge gap of, of use, a gap in the use, actually, between paid family medical leave and paid sick leave. And maybe we don't need to think of them as two separate issues. And maybe we can, you know, try to knock out needs for both of those types of leave with a, a more central leave mandate. And so what we've seen is coming out of the pandemic, a sort of morphing or mutating of paid leave of paid sick leave, sick and safe leave um, to really mean something else. And, and again, to the to the chagrin of employers, um, different states are coming to different solutions and, and pursuing different paths. Wow, Dylan, that, that is certainly something for uh, employers across the country to pay attention to. And, and thinking about paid sick leave for, for just another beat here, how the state legislatures in any particular states, if, if anywhere, taken steps to either formally pass uh, paid sick leave legislation th this this session or are, are inching their ways closer to passing whether it's a new law an amendment to an existing law or or something in between yeah I, th I think that's that's an important question because as I mentioned you know the the, the pendulum really is swinging back to, to paid sick leave or paid sick and safe leave or PTO whatever you want to call it um, and, and I guess we don't need to travel too far away from Minnesota to find um, uh, this year's best example of a paid sick and safe leave law in Minnesota. So along it's sort of a parallel effort to their paid family medical leave insurance program, they actually passed uh, omnibus legislation this year uh, that included a paid sick leave, paid sick and safe leave requirement for employers. And so generally, you know, in the past, paid sick leave was a pretty narrowly focused reason for leave to care for, you know, yourself um, if you were ill. Uh, or need to go to a doctor or anything along those lines and, and has over the years really branched out. So now there are, there are state paid sick leave requirements that allow employees to use that leave for a sick family member or, you know, to bring them to a doctor or even, you know, for uh, uh, reasons for leave stemming from domestic or sexual violence for yourself or a family member as well. And so that that dividing line between paid sick leave, paid family medical leave, has um, started to break down a little bit. And, and Minnesota's is a perfect example of that. And so in, in Minnesota, we see sort of this, this expanded version of the paid sick leave that we're used to seeing in other states, right? Uh, that there's one hour of paid leave earned for every 30 hours worked that, you know, an employee can accrue up to 48 hours in a, in a year um, and can accrue 80 hours in total for that leave. But like I said, uh, it, it, where it really branches out from what we've seen in paid sick leave in the past is uh, not only the addition of caring for a family member, but also safe leave, even emergency pandemic leave, something along the lines of, of COVID. And so we're seeing a slow uh, uh, outcreep in the paid sick leave space. 
I'll say that even on top of that, within Minnesota, uh, their PSSL law overlaps even more than a lot of other states with their paid family medical leave program. Obviously, being able to use this time to care for an ill family member, to address a, a safe safety issue, are also reflected in the paid family medical leave um, bill. And so what we see is two almost identical qualifying circumstances for an employee to use leave. But interestingly, different definitions of family member, one that is more expansive than paid family medical leave, and one that is not entirely clear about when employees should use paid sick leave versus state paid family medical leave benefits. Um, and so Minnesota is real, really the, the, new, uh, the new kid on the block within paid sick leave showing how that's expanded. But I also say that this sort of expanded paid sick leave isn't brand new. And, you know, looking beyond strict paid sick leave or paid sick and safe leave, the, the parallel trend that we've seen is, is the sort of rise of general PTO laws. So this year as well, we saw Illinois pass their version of a, a general PTO law, takes the shape, uh, the form and sort of the duration of a paid sick leave law, but leaves open the, the reasons for leave open pretty broadly to, to employee needs. And, you know, from an employer perspective, it's odd to, it's odd to think of a, general PTO law being easier to handle than, than a specific paid sick and safe leave law. But the longer these, um, these explicit lists of qualifying leave, the longer they grow, the harder it is for employers to plan for and, you know, administer all those different reasons. And at the end of the day, there are many cases in which a general open PTO, hey, here's your week or two weeks for the year, use it for whatever you need, is actually easier to administer. Um, and so we have these new, more expansive, exhaustive lists coming out. We have brand new general PTO lists coming out. And then, of course, maybe the most fun, uh, we have all the states with existing paid sick leave laws going back and saying, hey, that does sound like a great idea. Maybe this should be more open, uh, broadly opened beyond personal illness. And so just this year, we saw proposals in California and Connecticut and Colorado even, you know, looking to expand their definition of family member, looking to expand, you know, the, the reasons for leave, the qualifying circumstances that employees can take that leave to use, trying to expand the, the leave available in the year, all basically all across the board. And, and I'll say as a note, that's not just limited to paid sick leave, but also paid family medical leave as well. Yep. Yeah, great detail uh, there, Dylan, and so, so many balls that we're all juggling in terms of trying to track and stay on top of these developments. Let me ask you one one final question here uh, in terms of where things currently stand on federal paid leave in that front. You know, we saw some recent activity with introduced bills uh, just in the last few weeks, right, in both paid sick leave and paid family leave, I believe, uh, if you can maybe elaborate on that a little bit. And, th and then also one, one related point, too, you, know, you and I have spoken a bit in the past about this new uh, House Paid Leave Legislative Working Group. I'm curious if you can just spend a, qu a quick few seconds uh, explaining sort of to our listeners at a high level what that group is, any recent activity that, that they've been, uh, been, been, been taking care of and, and, and focused on, uh, as well as any other federal paid leave uh, prospects or, or, or you know, bits of information you might have up your sleeve. For sure, and I will I will do my best to keep it to a few seconds, but uh, lots of excitement to cover on that front. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, as we've talked about here today and in the past, you know, as, as the state patchwork continues to grow and without any real legitimate, you know, reason to believe that states will start making their programs uniform, the, the real focus to, you know, to providing relief from the patchwork for employers and for employees 
tends to then rest on on federal activity. And so, you know, we, we've had plenty of conversations about the Family Act uh, over years and years of introduction over, um, you know, the Cassidy Cinema paid leave proposal, even um, Chairman Neal's uh, uh, Build Back Better paid leave proposal just a couple of years ago. And before, you know, diving into the, the new working group and, and outlook, I uh, just wanted to kind of give a quick overview on, on those on those past federal paid leave efforts. Because, you know, the, the real issue that we've pointed out here is that because each state program is different, it becomes a compliance nightmare for employers and then also leads to employees in different states getting pretty vastly different paid leave benefits. And so our real focus, the, the real core um, goal of a paid of a federal paid leave policy is to provide some sort of relief, to provide some sort of uniformity and standardized paid leave benefits uh, for, for employers and employees across the country. And I'll say that, you know, working from oldest to newest paid, the federal paid leave proposal, you know, the Family Act is probably the oldest, the most core federal paid family medical leave proposal, um, but, you know, one that would just kind of add a federal layer of benefits onto the existing patchwork. Yeah, it's the one I think of that looks the most like the state programs that we've been talking right. about. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, which, you know, for advocates would provide more paid leave, but wouldn't really make existing paid leave any more effective or efficient um, and, and, you know, wouldn't really tackle the issue as a whole. Um, beyond that, that you know, there's been uh, proposals, Cassidy Cinema, even Senator Rubio, that has basically a, a short-term paid leave benefit that is funded, barring against you know future Social Security um, or child tax credits. It's always good to see new creative solutions and think outside of the box. But I don't think there's been enough pickup by paid leave advocates saying, you know, yes, this would check the boxes that we're looking for, and you know, without satiating their drive you would want some sort of federal paid leave policy to, to solve all of these issues and not be a bit of a band-aid. I'll say that of all the paid leave proposals at the federal level we've seen to date, the Build Back Better proposal was a huge step in the right direction. Um, it did you know, acknowledge that there is a paid leave patchwork at the state level that employers would like to improve upon uh, you know, compliance with that patchwork, but that their hands are sort of tied by the patchwork. And I think where the only real areas is where it fell short is, you know, understanding interaction with some of those existing state programs, how to incentivize them, how to disincentivize them from breaking uh, from the herd. Now, while that wasn't picked up or enacted during the pandemic, uh, it was, you know, an issue that Eric was encouraged by or, or a proposal that Eric was encouraged by and one that, you know, we'd like to see more of. That. Now, that brings us back to where we are today and this new working group. And so I, I want to say it may have formed at the end of last year, but really January of 2023, uh, this new bipartisan paid leave working group headed by Representatives Bice and Houlihan um, have sort of picked up a new torch within paid leave. I know in our conversations with them and in conversations we've had with them and other stakeholders, they have been very uh, upfront about understanding the state paid leave patchwork, understanding that employers are not trying to claw back these benefits. They're actually trying to push them in the right direction, but that, you know, a, a patchwork of inconsistent and incompatible, frankly, state programs are preventing them from doing that. And so, you know, I, I think that the uh, working group is still early on in its process. I know that they've been talking to stakeholders, to the business community, to product providers, paid leave insurance providers, um, and to employ, uh, employment groups to get at, you know, where's there room for compromise here? Is there room to build out more expansive or more generous benefits for more Americans while also not penalizing those actors that have already provided these historically? 
But at the end of the day, an incredibly encouraging sort of conversation that we've seen develop, one that is working from both sides of the aisle to a solution that fixes both sides of the issue, um, both the employers that want to provide these benefits and the employees across the country that you know want to receive them and not receive a watered-down version of them through a state-administered program. Yep, Dylan, I, I agree with those points. I think it is the, the, the working group is a really big step in the right direction, and I think Perhaps the most important part of all of it is that it is bipartisan. So hopefully taking all the various constituents and stakeholders and their perspectives into consideration could maybe break this logjam. Uh, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. But, but that insight is really valuable and helpful for our folks to understand, for our listeners to understand. Dylan, thank you so, so much for spending some time with us today sharing your insights on the newest additions, potential additions to the country's state and local paid leave patchworks, and for giving us uh, a little extra tidbit on what's happening at the federal level. Really, really thank you so much. Absolutely, Josh. Thank, thanks again for having me on. It's great to you know talk through a lot of these issues. There are plenty more updates on the horizon, plenty more fights, debates, discussions to have. Um, so really looking forward to continuing it. Me as well. You're, you're welcome back anytime, my friend. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in for today's episode. We will see you next time.